Well, good morning, church. Pray that everyone is, is well. And as we've taken in the words to the, the song that we just sang, I think it's a very fitting song considering uh, over the course of the last few months we've gone through the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon reminds us time and time and time again that all is vanity but a mist that, that simply fades away. And I don't know if you guys have ever been in a fun house or uh, in an environment where uh, there is mist, mist and uh, there is a, a light that comes through the course of the mist, but the, it's really neat the reflection that the, the mist gives to the light. Uh, as we become less, the light becomes more. It scatters out and it creates a beautiful effect. And I can't help but uh, put a visual into my own mind and my own heart as we're singing those words to the song, God, as we fade away, as we become less and, and as you become more, Father, we just pray that you would be illuminated uh, God, in, in our hearts and in our families and in our communities and all across the world, Father, help us to be less and for you to be more. Father, for us to fade away so that you can be magnified and glorified and illuminated uh, in the course of this world. So if you have your Bibles today, uh, we're going to continue in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're actually going to put a nice little bow uh, on that here today. We're going to be in the chapters of 11 and 12. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there uh, with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. So if you've been with us over the course of the last few weeks, and for those of you who have not, uh, we have discussed many topics considering uh, the fleeting nature of our lives. We've talked about the fleeting nature of relationships. We've talked about the fleeting nature of stuff. Uh, we've talked about those who are in authority, the people who are in our government. We've talked about rulers. We've talked about leaders. We've talked about all kinds of things. And we've talked about the carelessness of life, the cluelessness of many of those who live in this life, and the, and the overconfidence that many of us have when we tend to be lords of our own hearts. In fact, we've even discussed the idea that death is inevitable. Uh, it's a proven fact that 100% of people will die, uh, right? And it's a, also a fact that 100% of the people in this room are alive, okay? And so um, death is inevitable. It is coming at some point, but we also know that death is also unpredictable. Would you say amen to that? Every morning before our feet hit the floor, we know not what the day holds, but we do know the one who holds the day. And so the question is, after all that we have considered through the book of Ecclesiastes and, and we consider what is life, today we're going to discuss the idea of making life meaningful. If I was to go around the room right now uh, and say, what gives meaning to your life? I guarantee you that we would have a whole host of ideas and they would vary depending on different circumstances in our lives, different experiences, different upbringings, different nationalities, different economic groups, all these things play into our perspective of what brings meaning into life. In 2017, the Pew Research Center for Religion and Public Life actually posed the question to Americans, where do Americans find meaning? The results produced pretty similar findings uh, with some variances based upon sociological and economical uh, demographics. However, the number one thing that produces a sense of meaning in life across the board like all the people that were, that were surveyed, uh, the most percentage of people said that this was the number one thing that brought meaning to life. What do you think it is? It was family. 
if we were to be honest, most of us would say, yeah, family holds a pretty high priority in my life. Even amongst singles and those who are in relationships and have families, most all people would say that, yes, indeed, family does hold a high percentage of of meaning in my life. In fact, 69% of the people who were surveyed in America said that family was the number one uh, thing in their life that brought meaning. It brought purpose. It brought value. If you're curious, as I was, uh, I started to read through some of the other things that they also uh, thought brought meaning into their life. The second one was career at 34%. 34% of all people said career is a big priority in my life, and that's how I find meaning. 23% said money. Spirituality and faith was at 20%. Friends was 19%. Hobbies, 19%. Health, 16%. And coming in with a close Uh, uh, right on the tails of these things was reading, careers, and being outdoors. So all of you outdoorsmen, um, you have even made the list uh, in, uh, in this as well. But the reality is this, is that even though we can say all these things bring meaning, at some point in our lives we may become very disappointed in what these things bring into our lives. Whether you have family, you've got the crazy Uncle Ben who lives in North Dakota that nobody wants to be around. We all have those people in our lives. There are some days where we love our family. We love being together. We love having the opportunities to break bread together, to love and encourage, and even to cry through moments of life together. But there are also moments where we straight want to kill each other. Family is important, but family is not easy. Our careers... As much as we love what we do, no matter how passionate you are and how how greatly acclimated to your job you are, I guarantee you, you're going to have days where you want to run for the hills. You're going to have days where you don't get along with a co-worker, where you don't get along with your boss. You don't see eye to eye in everything. The reality is that all these things, if not pushed through a foundation or a filter of Jesus Christ, these things will truly not bring ultimate meaning. In life. And so here's what I believe. As we open up the Word of God today, there's something that Solomon says towards the end of chapter 12 that I believe is the very pivotal point, the very thing that we need to consider each and every day of our lives as a foundational principle for where we will find meaning. And it is this fear God and keep his commands. Fear God and keep His commands. And some of you might be asking, hold the, hold the phone. What does fearing God and being confined to His commands have to do with my meaning in life? How am I going to find joy and meaning and purpose in being hemmed in to the point that I can't do what I want to do within the freedoms of my own life? You see, you were never intended to be the Lord of your life. God created us as image bearers for him to sit upon the throne of our hearts. And so until we can have a right relationship with him, we cannot truly understand where meaning comes from. We cannot understand where purpose and happiness and all the things that we desire in life. If he is not first, then we have greatly got the priorities mixed up. And Solomon attends to this idea today. 
And so as I was reading through chapters 11 and 12, I came up with, I thought seven last night, but we popped it up to eight this morning, eight things, eight action things that we can incorporate into our life that will help us to walk in a way of meaning that we can come to have a more intimate relationship with our king, thus everything else in our life having meaning because of the one who gives meaning, the one who gives purpose. And so if you are with us, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and I'm going to pray before we get into his word. Almighty God, we thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the one who gave us your word, and your word is true. Every bit of it, Father. We thank you for the testimony of King Solomon, the, the man who you imparted such great wisdom upon, Lord, and the words that he has left us to challenge us and to convict us even today. And so, Father, as we come to open up your word, we pray that your word would speak, God, that it would not only be uh, words that go through one ear and out the other, but, Lord, that they would find their way into our hearts. Father, that they would bear great fruit, Father, so that we would be fruitful in the world. God, that we would bear the light and the hope and the grace and the mercy of our King Jesus in this world. And so, Father, we pray that you would meet us here now as we open up your word. And God, that you would speak. And we just ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And so we're going to do this two ways. I'm going to read through chapter 11, and we're going to, we're going to go back and, and discuss that just a little bit. And then we're going to finish up going through chapter 12. So we have a lot of territory to go through today. And so starting in chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. It says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young men, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sights of your eyes. But know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity." And so in the very first verse, he says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now Solomon isn't calling us to go to the grocery store and buy a loaf of Wonder Bread and chunk it out in the river. This isn't at all what Solomon is saying. What he is saying is that this was a term that was used in commerce in his day. Cast your bread upon the water means that they would put grain upon a boat and they would send that boat to a distant land for income. They would sell the grain and that they would hopefully come back and in many days uh, it will come back to you. In many days it will produce a harvest. It will produce a, a profit from what they had done. Now recognize that the grain being on that boat required labor. The grain being on that boat going overseas required faith. Because here's the reality. There were threats to the boat as it was in travel. There were pirates that could overtake the boat. Right? There were people, uh, unruly merchants when they got to the other place. People who may want to steal in order for their own profit. Right? And so there was a great deal of hope and a great deal of faith that was being invested into this grain going overseas to hopefully produce a harvest. 
to produce a prophet. And so Solomon says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Here's the reality in our lives. Are we casting our lives upon the waters of what God has created in hope and in faith? Are we laboring towards the things of Christ so that we can hopefully produce a harvest for our king? We reap no return on no investment. You know, I know you guys are impressed that I graduated from the business school of the East Carolina University. Right? That probably blows your mind right now that this guy is standing right here in front of you. Now let me tell you, I am by no means a financial guru. Uh, I don't even do our checkbooks at the house. So I'm just going to throw that out there for a second. But I do know this, is that if we venture nothing, we gain nothing. If we are unwilling to invest anything, we will never gain anything. And so if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Right? Some of us are okay with that. Hey, man, if I don't set a goal, then I don't have to be worried or disappointed that I never hit the goal. Yeah? We shouldn't live with that. <laughs> God call, has called us, and he has created us for more. What are the things that God has created you towards? What are the things he's gifted you towards? What are the things that he has put deep inside your heart that you are passionate about that you can invest into his glory, into the advancement of his kingdom, into the betterment of your own family? into the betterment of your relationships, the betterment of your finances, the betterment of your occupation. What are these things that God has told us to set goals in that we could honor Him in every single facet of our lives? The reality is, is that many of us are scared. The many, many of us do not want to venture out there and to take risks. Right? Uh, I'm no investment guru, but here's what I do know is that those guys, when they are investing money, they are taking a huge risk. All the time, if you look at the stock market, it's constantly like a roller coaster at Bush Gardens. It's up and down. There are ebbs and flows. There are unpredictable things that come up constantly. Yet people are willing to invest in what they hope to be something that will turn a profit. You see, there's always risks, but we have to be bold. And we have to be faithful. We have to be willing to put ourselves out there. We cannot let fear dictate our actions or our inaction. We can never let fear dictate our action or our inaction. Because if fear holds us back, then we have missed out on what God has created us for. Imagine the blessings that other people have missed out on because we have talked ourselves out of doing something that God has clearly called us and equipped us to do. Cast your bread upon the waters. You see, many of us, we, we understand what faith is, right? It's us pursuing something that we can't see. Like we're stepping out there, pursuing something that we don't know where the results will come from. There's a quote by Corey Ten Boom that I think is a beautiful definition of what faith is. She said this, faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. You see, if that merchant had never sent the ship out with the grain, then he would never get the return. Are there risks? Yes. Are there risks for you and me as we go out into this world to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not only to those in the midst of our comfort, but to those in the midst of our uncomfort. 
I made a good friend um, just a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about the power of witnessing and the power of testimony. He loves going door to door. You see, I'm not natured that way. From the sidewalk all the way to the door, I'm starting to sweat. I'm going, oh, dear Lord, guide my words and make sure that I don't stumble and make sure they don't pull a gun on me, right? I'm thinking these things. But he's like, man, I'm so excited for what's on the other side of that door because there's so much unknown. I don't know what's about to happen, but I know God is going to do something great. There is faith. There is hope. God has called us to cast our lives out upon the water, trusting that the very one who has given us life, the one who has given us breath, the one who has given us all that we have, will put us upon the water, and he will see to it that we see a return in due time. We are not the ones to tell God what we will do with our lives. We are the ones to say, in your will, Father. Lastly, we cannot withhold the giving of ourselves. We can't withhold the, the gifts. We can't withhold the talents and the resources. We must be faithful. We must be steadfast. We must be perseverant in the mundane and routine activities of daily life and difficult hours. There will be difficult times in life. I don't know if you have heard that. Maybe you have experienced that. But bad times shall come. The, the way that we wake up in the morning, and even if you have rose-colored glasses and you think everything's going to be peachy keen, it doesn't always end up that way, does it? But in faith, we step out and say, Father, uh, you are the one who provides for me. You are the one who goes before me. You are the one who protects me and hems me in behind. Lead me, Heavenly Father. So Solomon is telling us, in faith, invest your life. And then another investment term in, in verse 2, he goes on to say, Give a portion to seven. Or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. This is called the principle of diversification. Again, I had to look that up in a textbook. It's the principle of diversification. And so the principle says this it says, if you spread your investments, you spread your risk over long term. You may have heard it, heard it this way don't put all your eggs in one basket. Have you heard that? It comes from a 17th century Spanish idiom. And so the, the idea was that you never put all of your hen eggs into one basket because if you do and the basket should fall, what may happen? They may all break, right? And so it's the idea of diversification that we don't only invest ourselves in one person. We don't only invest ourselves into one place, but we are willing to invest ourselves in multiple places. We reduce the risk of being inactive, but we also expand the possibility of profit. We expand the possibility that we will actually see return on the investment that we have. Now, here's the reality. If we were to go out today, if we were to take our water pistols and be ready to storm hill, and all of us were to go out into the neighborhoods around our area, and we were to go door to door, the reality is, is that 100% of the people in the conversations that you have will not accept Jesus Christ. That's reality. But does it mean that we pull ourselves to the sidelines and we render ourselves inactive and we don't go. May it never be. Because if one comes to Christ, we know that all the angels in heaven rejoice. So if all of us in our state of hundreds of people, if we were to go out and we had but one who would to give their Christ to Jesus Christ because we made the effort and go invest ourselves in their lives, would that be a worthy endeavor? Absolutely. Absolutely. That would be what God has called us to do. 
You see, we are not to be fruit inspectors. He is. Amen? He's called us to bear fruit. He's called us to go labor, to turn the dirt, to get out there and to do these things. But he is ultimately the one who will inspect the fruit, and he's the one that will bear it. He is the one that will produce everything that he desires to do. And so it's a principle of diversification. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Investing in anything, in anything, whether it be finances or whether it be people, it takes faith, hope, trust, and labor. Investing in anything. Have you ever been in a relationship where it required much of your time? Where it required much of your listening ear? Where it required much of your heart? Maybe emotionally you were drug in. It required an awful lot. It takes faith. Leaning on the everlasting arms of the Holy Father who created us and created them. It takes hope. We've heard story after story of mothers who have prayed for their children for years and for years and for decades and for decades. And then lastly, 30, 40 years down the road, finally the young man or young woman gives her heart to Christ. It wasn't happenstance. It was because of the faithful prayers of a mother who loved and invested into that young man and that young woman. God calls us to labor. It's not a one and done. We're not Kentucky basketball. God calls us when we invest, we continue to invest, and we continue to invest. Because here's what I know, is that even though you and I may never see the fruit of what we have invested in in this world, God will see it into eternity. We bear, we, we plant seeds. We are faithful in the labor that God brings us towards. So we invest faithfully, we give generously, and thirdly, we see optimistically. We see optimistically. In verses 3 and 4, it says, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Many of us in this room are optimistic. Many of us in this room are pessimistic. Some of us are glass half full, and some of us are glass half empty. How many of you right now, if you were reading through this, you said the clouds are full of rain. Okay, rain's coming. They envy themselves on the earth. Great, my day just got ruined. A tree falls to the south or to the north. Great, there's work I got to do. I got to go cut the tree down. In the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. How many of you, if you're honest, are like, that sounds like a whole lot of stuff I wasn't planning today. I ain't trying to go out in the rain, and I'm not trying to uh, chop up a tree that just killed over. Right? How many of you would say, hey, the rain's coming. It's great for the plants. It's great for the produce. Man, a tree fell over. We're going to have firewood for the winter. Praise the Lord. Right? Some of us are pessimistic. Some of us are optimistic. But Solomon is saying, in these things, let's see these things as opportunity. Let's see these things optimistically. You know, the reality is, is that bad things will happen. And we can't change what happens. We can't change the circumstances. And we certainly can't change people. We're not in the, in the work of changing people. That's God's work. He's the one that changes people from the inside out. But we can change the way in which we respond. We can change the way in which we respond to the circumstances and the people that are around us. Even when things are not favorable. Even when things don't happen the way that we thought that they should happen. We can change the way that we respond to those things. We can change the perspective that we have given the circumstances. See, many times in our lives, the conditions for action or investment aren't favorable in our minds. 
See, many times we often uh, walk through the circumstances or situations that we have been through with our own perspective, not asking what God's will is or what He is doing in the midst of this. I know I am guilty of not pausing, taking a time out and saying, Hey God, like this doesn't seem good to me now. But can you help me to see with bigger eyes? Because I know you're working. I know your promises are true. I know that you've never left me nor forsaken me. You're always with me. If I look back on my life and reflect on all that you've done, you have always been faithful. Father, help me to see in the midst of this. I was planning on going out and doing some crops today, Lord, but the rain's coming, and so uh, I'm probably just going to sit on the couch. Lord, what is your will for me in these moments? We can't allow our spiritual atmosphere or our unexpected events in the physical realm to create fear and stop us from fulfilling our purpose each and every day. We can't wait for the conditions to be just right, is essentially a way to say it. If many of us were to sit in our homes and wait for the conditions to be right, for us to go and serve King Jesus, the reality is is that they would never be right. Because we live in a broken world. We live amongst broken people. We are broken people. You realize that. If you have claimed to be a Christian, you're not perfect. And I'll be the front of the line and say that I got a whole lots of flaws. If we wait for the conditions, if we wait for ourselves to be perfect, if we wait for ourselves to get our junk together, if we wait for God to perfect us, then we will always render ourselves inactive. We can't allow the things that are outside that are pushing in on us dictate what we can and what we cannot do. Our present circumstances are not a correct interpretation of the future. The difficulties that you are walking through in this life right now are no indication for what God is doing into the future. What you are walking through now, the hardships of finances, the hardships in your occupations, the hardships in your families, the hardships that we see in our community, the brokenness that we see in our government, the the starvation and the hunger that we see around the world, those things are not an accurate picture of what God is doing in this world. God is moving, and He's drawing all people to a place of submission to where they will recognize that He is God, that He is Creator, that He is the Lord and sustainer of all things. What does it take to get our attention? If we were only on mountain peaks all day, every day, would we truly love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and our souls and our minds and our strengths? Or can we say that I have grown so much greater through the midst of my struggles than I ever have in the midst of my victories? I look back upon my life, and we'll talk about looking back in just a second, but I've looked back upon my life, and I have seen the hand of God work so much greater in the midst of my struggles than I ever have in the midst of the victories and the things that I didn't need Him for. God is working, and God is moving. And so when you are starting to go through these things and when you are starting to feel anxiety and feel the fear, pause and say, God, help me to see with the eyes that you see. Help me to see with the hope that you have in this world. Help me to see with the grace and the mercy to look upon other people that I really don't want to be close to at the moment. Help me to see them with the eyes that you see them. They're not perfect, but they're yours. I'm not perfect. 
but I'm yours, and I trust you, Lord. So we invest faithfully. We give generously. We see optimistically. And fourthly, we work fervently. Fervent means a passionate intensity. We work with passion. In verse 6, it says, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you know not which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. I recognize in, in, in our area we have a good amount of farmers that labor passionately. They labor fervently, knowing not what tomorrow will bring. They invest a lot of resources and time and work into the dirt, praying that it will produce a harvest that will help provide for other people as well as put food on the table for their own families. I don't think that in, in the midst of somebody trying to work towards becoming a millionaire, the farmer would have been the first thing they probably would have chosen. I bet if I was to go and ask many farmers, the reason that they do it is because they've been grown uh, with a passion for the land, for a passion for farming. As I was thinking and considering these things, um, I think that a teacher could also be thrown in there. Teachers invest into the lives of people not knowing what will be produced. They give of their time. They give of their resources. Some years are better than others. Some crops or some classes more than others. But with each year, there's faith. There's hope. There's labor. We see the similar fervent labor from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, when he looked upon humanity, he didn't see hopelessness. Our Lord and Savior looked upon the people of the earth and he said, I love them. There is hope. There's gold in them, there are hills. He was willing to invest in such a way that it would produce a harvest. You know, he's called us to be laborers in the midst of the harvest. But he's not done working. There may be ups and downs. There may be wins and losses. But our king, King Jesus, died upon the cross. He paid the ultimate payment for you and for me. And for all those who do not yet know him, he has died. And he has suffered. And he has surrendered. He has labored in the hope that we would have life. In the hope that we would understand what true living, the meaning of life, truly is. So farmers and teachers, thank you for your work. It is not unseen. Every time I eat a vegetable, though I begrudgingly do so, I'll thank you. <laughs> so we invest faithfully. We give generously. We see optimistically. We work fervently. We live ambitiously. We live ambitiously. In verses 9 and 10, he says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Guys, God did not create us to be solemn. He did not create us to be downcast. He did not create us to be Eeyore's. I personally have never cared for, and some of you are going to gasp, the cartoon of Winnie the Pooh. I cannot stand the, the accent, but I especially cannot stand Eeyore. 
That guy gets on my nerves. I would have kicked him out of the cartoon years ago. You know the, the people who like an Eeyore? Eeyores. Nobody else wants to be around an Eeyore. A person where everything is so just boring and everything is so, oh, the world is against me. God has not given us defeat. He has made us a people of victory. He has given us life. He has given us renewed strength, renewed vision. He has given us salvation. He has given us today, tomorrow, and eternity. He has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness, yet we walk around defeated. Solomon is saying your youth is fleeting. The years and the days when you can consider the things of God and you can put those things into action are fleeting. They're passing by so quickly. Live for the day. Eat the donut. Amen. Eat the donut. God blessed us with donuts. I believe it. He has called us to live with ambition, to live with zeal, to live with gusto, to have enjoyment and vigor in our life, but we must live with wisdom and godliness. We can do all those things to the glory of God, but when we start to do them for ourselves and we start going down the path where we're chasing after sin, we start to find our satisfaction in things that are not of God, but are things of the world, things that are meant for our destruction and not for our good. When we start chasing after those things, we have to recognize that we are walking in dangerous territory. Solomon is he's telling us his life experiences from everything that he has ever had that has ever brought him enjoyment. He is bringing us to the point and saying, I wish that I had lived in greater wisdom and in holiness. I want you to live in a life that is righteous and is without blemish. I want to pursue living for my heavenly father, my king, in true freedom. Friends, I can tell you, as a guy who went to the East Carolina University, and a guy who didn't get saved until he was 22 years old. There is nothing that I ever could have experienced in the midst of my stupidity at ECU that would ever give me the satisfaction of what I have experienced in the freedom of walking in obedience with my Lord. There is no pill, there is no bottle, there is no relationship, there is nothing in this world that gives greater satisfaction than walking in obedience with the King. Some people may say that this is, is, is causing us to be confined. Confinement means being restricted in area or volume. Essentially, you're cramped. Many of us would say, hey, if I can't do the things that I want to do in the way that I want to do them, then that's confinement. That is not a way to live life. We're not confined. We are contained. Containment, on the other end, is to have or hold someone or something within. You see, within the arms of our Heavenly Father, within His hands, the one who put all things into motion, God holds us, He contains us within His hands into things that are good and right and lovely and beautiful and full of hope and full of mercy. God puts us, He contains us within His hands. He doesn't confine us, He protects us. He doesn't confine us, He provides for us. He doesn't confine us, He leads us in His presence, in His hands. He walks before us and He takes us along with Him. God has called us to live ambitiously, not defeated. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16 says this. It says, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live 
as servants of God. Many of you might have uh, seen the movie years ago, um, uh, Denzel Washington, the football movie. Remember the Titans? My man Rev was, was, was preaching from Isaiah chapter 40. He said, even you grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They shall walk and not grow weary. Our God in his presence is provision and peace. There is freedom, but it's not freedom to be used for us. It's freedom to be used for his glory. And so we invest faithfully Faithfully, we give generously, we see optimistically, we work fervently, we live ambitiously, and next we reflect daily. We reflect daily. As we open up chapter 12, and we're going to warp speed it here, he says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the street. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. If you were reading through that, Solomon is using metaphorical terms, but he's essentially talking about you, your body, you and me, our bodies will decline. We will become weak, right? He talks about the keepers of the house tremble. The keepers of the house are our hands. There's going to come a day when we can no longer labor in the way in which we labor. We cannot have the strength within our hands that we once had. The strong men are bent, the shoulders of which we carry burdens in life. We, we can stand up proud now, but there's going to come days when it feels like we can no longer carry anything. The grinders, your teeth, they will cease. We're going to have some summer teeth. Some are going to be gone and some are going to be present. And then those... Those who look through the windows are dim. Your eyes are going to start to fail. Like our bodies are going to start giving up. And so what Solomon is saying, he's saying, remember, listen, reflect daily. Think about all that God has done. And let that be the motivation and the strength that you have in this life. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before you can no longer consider these things. Many people, if they, they think about their lives to the point when they're they are growing old and feeble, they look back and they have a lot of regrets. Things that they can no longer go back and do. Things that they can no longer go back and say because the relationships or the people that they used to have are no longer there. Solomon is saying, remember your creator every single day. Because he has done a great thing. Always let the presence of the Lord be before you. Always let the remembrance of what he has done be the motivation that you can have. Because here's the reality. Remember I said bad things will happen. Where are we going to find strength in the midst of those things? The remembering of what God has done. The things that God has told us to store in our hearts. The truth that God has established there. Reflect daily. Consider the things that God has done and the victories that have gone before us. Seventh. So we invest faithfully, we give generously, we see optimistically, we work fervently, we live ambitiously, we reflect daily, and next we listen intently. We listen intently. 
Starting in verse 9, it says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. He's saying, listen intently. He says, the words of the wise are like goads. They are like prods for cattle. They are like prods for sheep. It's a, a goad is essentially a stick that has a sharp object on the end of it that they would, that they would pop, pop them and get them back into place. The words of the wise are words of correction. The words of the wise should cause us to intently lean in, to lend our ear and our hearts to its direction. The, the, the nails of which it's talking to are like tent stakes. Of the shepherd. It drives the tent in and it calls it to have a sense of fortitude. You see, God's word is a word of correction, but it's also a word of direction. God directs us and he corrects us in the midst of his words. And Solomon is saying with eager attention, listen intently, lean in, because we are all teachers. When we lean in and when we listen, we have to lean in in discernment and in wisdom. Because we are all teachers, we are all teaching something, we can all teach something poorly and we can all teach something in righteousness. The reality is is that Howard Stern in all his foolishness is a teacher. There are tens of thousands of people that every day wake up and they will turn on his radio show and they will listen to the junk that Howard Stern shares and they will find that as truth. But would you and I say in a discerning manner that that is wisdom? It's foolishness. Because he's chasing after things that are perverse and are not of God. But God has called us to listen intently for his voice. Be still and know that I am God. He calls us to lean in. And so we invest faithfully. We give generously. We see optimistically. We work fervently. We live ambitiously. We reflect daily. We listen intently. And lastly, we weigh judiciously. We weigh judiciously. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the whole purpose of what we are here. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Everything that we do, every word that we say, every thought that we think, every action that we display in this life will be brought into judgment. They will be weighed upon the scales of eternity. It's a weighty thought when we consider where we are looking for meaning in our lives. The very one who is the judge and the jury is the one who has called us and told us to judge rightly. Solomon would suggest over the course of the whole book of Ecclesiastes, as the worship team comes, if you consider all that he has discussed over the book of Ecclesiastes, He would suggest that if you think there is any hope or happiness apart from God, then you are a fool. If you would take anything in this world and you would stack them as high as you can stack them, like the Tower of Babel, those who are trying to get to God on their own initiative, if you were to stack them thing after thing after thing, relationship after relationship, substance after substance, no matter what it is, it would never be enough. God has called us to weigh judiciously in the way that we engage with the world around us. 
We are to fear God, but not in a, a sense that we are scared, even though there is a level of that. We are to fear God in a sense of reverence. That the very God who gave us life is the one who has our best intentions at his heart. You see, his intentions for creating us in his image is that he would have fellowship with you and with me. Many of us have, have run to other things and we've tried to find satisfaction in other relationships, things of this world that simply are only momentary. We may engage in them today only to wake up tomorrow and find that the void is still present. God would say that is not a discerning tone. Consider the things that I have given you, daughter. Consider the things that I have given you, son. I have given you not only life that you get to enjoy every day. I have given you renewed life. For those who would call upon his name and recognize God, I have tried to be in control of me, and it's not working out. God, I desire to know what it means to walk and live in a way of righteousness, to walk and live in a way of, of obedience, to walk and live in a way where I can breathe and have peace, to where I don't feel the tension and the weight of my decisions, but, Lord, that I can be set free to worship and to come to know you in a way that you've created. God has given every single one of us that opportunity. A lot of us in this room are tired. Because we haven't considered what truly brings meaning in life. We've chased after a dollar to the point that we can't even engage with our family in a decent conversation because we have lost focus of what the true priority is in life. If you put God first, all of the things will fall into order. His presence in all these situations and circumstances in life will be so much better. Walking them with the very one who created you than trying to walk them alone. So we come to this point as we're wrapping up the book of Ecclesiastes and the question is in the fleeting nature of life where are you find, finding meaning? Are you satisfied where you are? Or do you long for more? Are you still on a search for what is true? Are you still trying to put the pieces together? Are you simply so worn out that you mentally and physically can't seem to go another day? Our God and our King calls you to come to Him. He will set your path straight. You trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And stop leaning in your own understanding. He will set your path straight. He is faithful. He always has been. The skeptic would say there is no God he could never understand where I'm at. There is no God. He can never meet me where I am. And I can tell you that I believe that he can. Because he met me in the midst of brokenness. He met me in the midst of my junk, my inability. Me trying to take ownership of my own life, God met me there. In the hole that was left in the midst of a very tough situation and season in my life, God was very present. He had never left me from the beginning. I just failed to recognize that he was there. Today, God's presence is close. Today, he is in this place. His Holy Spirit is moving. Do you want to have 
an encounter with the living God. In just a moment as, as, we, as we go into song and we enter into this time of worship, the challenge is not a mere reflection of where we are in our lives and, and trying to make changes. It might be that today is a day to where you say, I can't do it no more and I need help. Today might be the day where you say, I want to surrender and I want to have this relationship with Jesus. Today might be the day where you say, I need family. I need a place where I can come and be me and know that I am loved and know that I am not judged because of where I have been and where I'm at. No matter where you are, I invite you to take this opportunity to pray, to take this opportunity to move and to act, to take this opportunity to let God move in your life, to speak into your heart, to speak into your minds so that he may continue to draw us closer together as his people, his sons and his daughters. So take some time, bow your heads, get real with God, eliminate distraction, spread around the room. If you need time to pray, if you need to seek forgiveness from someone, spread around the room. There's no limitations. Father, we welcome your presence into this place. Father, we thank you for the testimony of King Solomon and, and the actions that we can put into our life. Father, we long for greater faith. God, we long for a day that we can follow hard after you unhindered. Father, that we can hear your voice and recognize that your presence is close. Father, we just pray that you would meet us in this time of worship. God, that you would hear our praises. God, that you would hear our hearts and God, that you would meet us where we are. Whether we stand or whether we sit, Father, you are present. Whether we speak or whether we stay in silence, Lord, may you be glorified. 